This episode of Practical Significance is brought to you by the Statistics Division of the Society for the Preservation of Archaic Methods. The old way is good enough. That's our motto at the Society for the Preservation of Archaic Methods, affectionately known as SPAM. The Statistics Division of SPAM wants to reach out to people who firmly believe the things they learned in their two courses in statistics taken 30 years ago haven't really been improved on since, and so they don't need to ask a statistician for advice. Does this describe you? Join SPAM. Do you insist on teaching students to work complex calculations by hand and using tables to calculate p-values because that's how you learned to do it and you turned out okay? You are our kind of people. Join the Society for the Preservation of Archaic Methods today. The cost is only $5. We haven't raised our rates since Dwight D. Eisenhower, the last great president, was in office. And we take checks. In fact, we only take checks in cash, as we always have. And now, let's join the podcast. Hello, and welcome to Practical Significance, a podcast to inspire listeners with compelling stories from statistics and data science and to propel data-driven careers forward. Here are your hosts, the ASA's Director of Strategic Initiatives, Donna Lalone, and Executive Director, Ron Wasserstein. Well, welcome everyone to the February issue of Practical Significance. And Ron and I have really embraced the spirit of February. So in celebration of Valentine's Day, our theme is what's love got to do with it? And we are going to have as our guest some statistical couples. And we are talking right now with Jerry and Ed Mulrow, but we're going to start in our traditional way and ask them what they do in their day job. So Jerry, I'll start with you. All right. Thank you. Well, uh, thanks for having us on. So I'm Jerry Mulrow. I'm a vice president and director of uh, statistics and data science at uh, Westat. Is there a current project that you could just talk a little bit about that you are really interested in that you're working on? Well, we have so many projects at Westat, but what I'm really working on that I thought might be interesting to talk about here is I'm going to be doing a presentation on the Conference on Statistical Practice, and I'm going to be talking about ethics in statistical practice. And I am really passionate about that at this point in time because, you know, there's so many changes in the world and we're, you know, so many opportunities with being able to put lots of different data sets together. But I also think there's some challenges, and I think the ethical side of things is something that we ought to be considering. So I'm very excited to be in a panel discussion on that topic, which is very relevant to the work that we do at Westat because we do a lot of data collections, a lot of data analysis and dissemination of data for federal, state and local clients. So it's important to them that we have some ethical standards. They have ethical standards uh, and we need to uphold those. And I think it's nice to talk about those broadly in our community. Thanks, actually, for bringing that up. I think that that's maybe a topic that we don't talk about enough, so I'm happy that you shared that with us. Ed, what about you? What's the day job? Sure. My day job is I'm the Senior Vice President for Statistics and Data Science at NORC at the University of Chicago. So Jerry and I are direct competitors. We sort of do the same thing at both our organizations, um, which is manage a large staff of statisticians, methodologists, data scientists to make sure all our clients are being properly served. One thing that's on uh, 
my mind right now is we are working on a proposal to try to get funding to do a pretty extensive study of how people perceive and view graphics. I think that while there's a lot of good graphics in the world, there's a lot of bad graphics. And some of this comes from a lot of conflicting advice. And starting back with Cleveland McGill, they started testing elements of data graphics. It was on a handful of friends and family members. There have been other studies where people have used college students where people have used crowdsourcing. What we're going to do is take uh, Norik's Amerispeak panel, which is a representative sample of the general adult population in the U.S., and we would like to expose uh, the general population to a series of different graphics to find out what people understand and why. That might be a bit of a grandiose plan, but it's where we'd like to go with it to be the first time I think somebody's tried to do this with the general population and not some very focused small group of viewers, graphic viewers. That is so fascinating. And I just have to put on my chance editor hat and say, <laughs> when you're ready to write about that, or even uh, when you would like to write preliminarily about that, we would love to have an article for Chance Magazine. We do have preliminary results. We've been only able to do five questions a month, but there will be a talk by one of my colleagues, Keegan Rice, at uh, JSM. Somehow I became the graphics program chair, so that session got into things. <laughs> so, Ed, the tricky part will be deciding what graphics you use to present your report right. on. Yes. Now we're going to turn towards our theme a little bit, and I know this is not going to be easy to do, but I'm going to ask you, maybe I'll start with you, Ed, but ask you to pick maybe the best part of having a statistician as a partner, and if somewhere along the way, one or both of you wants to tell us how you met, that would be great. Uh, jokingly, the best part of having Jerry as a partner is we've annoyed our kids over time at dinner table talking about statistics. So <laughs> that's probably the number one thing. But other than that, you know, uh, until recently, now that we're competitors, being able to discuss things at home with someone you trust, I think, is a really key point, you know, having someone to bounce ideas off of is always a nice thing to have. Yep, I agree. And <laughs> we were talking about that the other night about how it, our kids now do understand statistics, but it used to really annoy them at the dinner table. They'd be like, are we talking statistics again? <laughs> and what is this thing variability? And why do you always talk about that? <laughs> That's great. Well, I have to say that it never really uh, came up at our dinner table all that much. <laughs> But, but how did you meet? We were both graduate students at Colorado State University, uh, both coming in at the same time, and they stuck all the new graduate students in a, in a big room <laughs> together. It was a terrible office, but the group of us got to know each other, and over time, Jerry and I got to know each other better. So we've known each other for quite a long time. Very good. And I won't ask for a number on that. <laughs> but we do often talk to our guests on this podcast asking for advice for listeners. And something that comes up very frequently is work-life balance, as though anybody really has a handle on that. But what advice might you have for that elusive goal of maintaining a balance between work life and personal life? You can go first, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> well... As we all know, the work will still always be there. <laughs> 
And that's always the thing. I have a running list and it's, as soon as something goes off of it, something else comes on. So there's always something that is on your list of things to do. But I think it's important. And we really did make a commitment, especially when the kids were younger, to always be home for dinner. We were home for dinner as a family and tried to really stick to that. And, you know, people would go work before that and then maybe work after that. But just having some time for the family, setting that aside and having that expectation that they would be home and we would be home and try to have a conversation around things at the dinner table. And I just always try to have a division between work and home because they can always work more, but it's important both for your mental health and your physical health to stop and have a break and do something different. So I think it's different for everybody. I love to go out and do a walk. And that just helps clear my mind and helps me think about things and just lets things go. So that's one of the things that I do. I just add, as a consulting statistician, for the most part, I've had to, over my whole career, be very collaborative. And I think it goes to our home life in that Jerry and I have always had to collaborate on raising a family compromising, collaborate on our career paths. Sometimes we've worked together, sometimes we haven't, but it's always a give and take and bringing just the concept of collaboration, compromising into the relationship has been a very good thing. Thanks. Those are great answers. And I'm visualizing again, this family time, we're all sitting around the table and everyone needs to be there so they can have a good discussion of missing values. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's actually great advice. We have started this tradition of asking our guests what they're reading, what they're listening to, watching. I think actually I started this tradition because I like to add to my list of good reads and and good podcasts. So Jerry, I'll start with you. What's on the list of to be read or just read that's great or watched or listened? We're sort of in the middle of watching The Crown right now. I kind of get into these series and we kind of watch them through and then we get a different series, but that's the one that we're in the middle of right at the moment. And I usually like to read on an airplane when I have like a huge block of time and nobody is interrupting me. So I have like a stack of books that I sort of pull from then and decide what do I feel like reading. But I like to read generally fiction, historical fiction, potentially things like that, but I don't have anything that's right on my list because I don't have a trip that I'm planning right at the moment. Depends on how I feel that day. And I go back and I look at what do I feel like reading on this plane? (laughs) Well, maybe when we see each other at CSP in San Francisco, we'll compare notes what we read as we (laughs) made our way across the country. (laughs) Ed, how about you? Yeah, I have a kind of a, a little different approach. I like to read a little bit before I fall asleep. I like science fiction fantasy, so Terry Brooks, who has a number of different series, turns out I've pretty much read all his books over a long period of time, and he's got a new series out, and his current book, I think, is Child of Darkness, so that's kind of what I'm slowly getting through. I watch a number of different series in addition to The Crown, like I'm looking forward to a new season of Severance, Ted Lasso, things like that. And the other thing I'll mention is that when my son was young, I used to play video games and he would sit and watch me playing the video games and he would then finally tell me how to do things better. He's kept it up and I haven't done it in a long time. So, but for Christmas, he decided he would give me a new game in this series called Monkey Island. So I've been struggling. He also gave me a Nintendo Switch so that I'd be able to play it. 
<laughs> so, and while Ed's doing that, I usually go upstairs and do some jigsaw puzzles because I kind of like some quiet time and some non-screen time. <laughs> so I've been working my way through a bunch of jigsaw puzzles. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So do you have a current puzzle that you're working on? So my son, he gave Ed the Monkey Island. He gave me a set of four jigsaw puzzles that are the Disney theme parks. So I currently have one of the Magic Kingdom castle that I'm working on. (laughs) Very good. Well, if the pieces aren't at least as big as my hand, I'm not really very good at jigsaw puzzles. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. All right. We are continuing our statistical couples conversation, and we're really excited to be joined by Emily and Eric Griffith. And we're going to start by asking you both to introduce yourselves to our listeners. Tell us about your day job, maybe a project that you are currently working on that you're particularly excited about. And so, Emily, I will turn it over to you. All right. I was about to elbow Eric and ask him to go first. Um, So I'm Emily Griffith. I'm an associate professor of the practice at NC State University in the Department of Statistics. Um, And I'm also the director of consulting for our data science academy on campus. So my day job is a mix of things. I would do collaborative statistical work with other people on campus. I work with grad students to teach them and train them and oversee their collaborative data science and statistics work. And I do some teaching. I'm involved in several large grant-based projects on campus. Yeah, just a ton of different things. And so this semester, though, I get to teach the undergrad practicum with a friend of mine who's in industry, and we have the best time. They do group projects with campus data stewards to look at student success and other metrics on campus, and they present their work at the end of the semester. And it is the best class. And this year's group is already really chatty and engaged after day one. So I am very, very excited um, to teach that class this semester. All right, I'm Eric Griffith. I'm not nearly as interesting as my wife. Uh, <laughs> I'm a senior biostatistician at Elucent. Uh, it's a clinical research organization here in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina. So my day job is I do a lot of programming data sets for clinical trials. I really help get these trials to the FDA and get them hopefully approved and to consumers that need them. It's a really interesting job, and it's really rewarding to me to be able to help these pharmaceutical companies get their drugs to the people who need them. One of the most recent ones that I've been working on is a pediatric neuroblastoma study. So it's it's pediatric cancer is a really rare cancer in young kids. And we just got this drug to market. And so it's it's really helping a lot of young kids and, and families. Well, it's a pleasure to meet both of you and actually to meet Eric for the first time. And so now we'd like to dive right into our What's Love Got to Do With It theme and ask you to talk about what one best part is of having a statistician as a partner and also, of course, like to learn how you met. So I think one of the best parts of having a statistician as a partner is if you're stuck on something, like you have somebody sort of built in that you can ask for like a stat second opinion. So we definitely have super nerdy dinner table conversations like our poor kids, where we'll talk about like the latest and greatest in SAS or <laughs> some kind of statistical issue. I know I'll use that in job interviews actually. Like, hey, if you hire me, I've got a PhD statistician <laughs> at the house that I can consult with if I need help. So it's like a two for one deal. Mm-hmm. 
he also has hired a few of our students, so <laughs> it works back and forth. It does. It's nice. All right. So Eric, and don't mess this up. Tell us how you met. <laughs> so we met in grad school here at NC State. NC State has a, had a really cool program. I don't know if they still do. Do they I still do? do? Mm-hmm. Where the older students would mentor or, or get buddies, right, of the incoming students. Um, and so some of us that have been there the previous year went to the orientation to meet our buddies and see the new crop of students. And Emily was one of those new crops of students. And uh, I thought she was pretty cute the first day. And luckily, one of my good friends was her buddy. And so we got to, to hang out. Yeah, that's kind of it. That was kind of it. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. And Eric, I think I may have slipped over the opportunity for you to add if there was anything else you wanted to say about one best thing about <laughs> having a statistician as a partner. Emily's answer was good. And it's it's true. And it's really nice to be able to bounce ideas off of her if I'm stuck at work or need help with a procedure or, you know, some stats theory, because she's she's much more into into that daily than I am. You know, I, I'm much more applied. It can be a double-edged sword sometimes, I think, right? Because I'll ask Emily, like, hey, this is what I'm doing. What do you think? And she'll be like, I don't know if that's the right way. And I'm like, it is, right? Like, I'm, I just wanted you to say, yes, that's right. I didn't really want you to criticize what I'm doing, right? So it's it can be two both ways. That's really great. And I, I still want to disappoint you guys or whatever, but I think almost everybody sits around and talks about SAS at the dinner table. It's <laughs> not that all that unique. All right. So we talk to lots of people on the podcast. And one of the things that comes up a lot is work-life balance. That's a tricky one. And so what advice do you have? And Eric, I'm going to kick it to you first here. <laughs> I think both of us, Emily and I, are, are both pretty laid back. And I think it's lucky I'm less ambitious than Emily. So it doesn't bother me when she is maybe working, you know, on a Saturday morning trying to get stuff done for her class or for a grant or something like that. I think for us, we just sort of have to communicate and know when the other one's going to, you know, be tied up with something, right? And for me, I really just try not to take work so seriously. I, you know, I try to do as, as well as I can when I'm there, but I try not to bring it home, even though I'm working from home these days, right? It's, it's kind of a little bit more difficult through and, and now post-pandemic. It's really hard. And I think if you ask anybody, that's always sort of like the holy grail, right? Is how do you balance that work and life? And, and for me, I really just try to take things easy and not get too hung up on either side. That's a great answer. Emily, what would you like to add? No, Eric's awesome, which definitely helps. So one of my colleagues at work, um, Herla McGowan, and I always say that the best thing for work-life balance is choosing a good partner who's helpful. Like I teach an evening class on the days that our daughter has ballet or one of our daughters. He learned how to do a ballet bun. So he's home doing her hair when I'm teaching. I think it also has gotten easier now that they're older because you don't have to have your eyeballs on them all the time. When they're home, they have slightly better judgment. I mean, it's hard. And I don't think I know anybody who feels like they know how to have good work-life balance. But I think it comes in waves, right? Like we have busy seasons and we have slightly less busy seasons. And so taking the time off when you have it and then actually taking that time off, which is hard for me, but it's helpful. So I do not 
posts on Twitter, but I definitely follow Emily. So I feel I know a little bit about the some of the things that you all like to do when you relax. But I come to really appreciate the question, what are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you watching? What's on the list to be read? Mostly because I want my list to grow. <laughs> so Emily, I'll start with you. All of the above and any other hobbies, actually, because I have this feeling that you do jigsaw puzzles. Do I remember that as <laughs> I, well? So yes. So I got myself for Christmas last year, a monthly jigsaw puzzle subscription, which was delightful, except I fell six months behind by the end of the year. And then my hobby was stressing me out because I had this pile of like undone jigsaw puzzles building up. So I canceled it for this year and I might have that be an every other year thing, but I did actually take a screenshot on my phone because I just put a new book, um, Arsenic and Adobo. It's new to the libraries on hold and it's a cozy mystery, which is my favorite off work reading, but it's a Hispanic family. And so the recipes are all like Mexican style food, I think is what it's going to be. And I'm very, very excited to read it. So ask me in 18 weeks <laughs> when that's my turn um, to get it. But it's a new author and a, a newer series. So I'm really excited about that one. Emily, has in the cozy mystery department, have you gone through the Thursday Murder Club books? No, I have not. Oh, they're so fun. Okay. First one is called the Thursday Murder Club, and then uh, there are two more. You might want to put that on the list. I will jot that down. Thank you. And Emily, I feel like I have to give you a little context about the jigsaw puzzles, but we mm -hmm. talked earlier with Ed and Jerry Mulrow, and Jerry shared that doing jigsaw puzzles was one of the ways in which she likes to relax. And so like, I'm feeling a theme here of uh, <laughs> statisticians and jigsaw puzzles, right? Yeah. Um, well, they're so satisfying, right? I think they're really satisfying. Yeah. He finishes them all. No, no. So my granddad is a, there's a funny story about my granddad. Anybody that was working a puzzle, he would sort of slide by and, and slyly steal a piece and keep it in his pocket until they were finished. And then he could always finish the puzzle. He, they would be like, well, where, where's this last? And then he would walk by and thumb it in and, and be, there you go, finished. <laughs> so Eric, what else is on your list for relaxing? Any other favorite podcasts or movies? You know, we're, we're into <laughs> recommendations here. <laughs> <laughs> well, really for me, one of my favorite things to do is play softball in the, in the spring and fall. So I'm, I'm pretty active with a, a group of guys here in, in the area that we, we play together. We have been playing together for I don't know, almost since we moved back here to, to Raleigh 10 years ago. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun and when we're, we're pretty good. So it's, it's, a, that makes it even more fun. He's super competitive <laughs> with anything sports related. And I play some golf in the summer too. So golf and softball are my big two hobbies, but um, reading wise, I've been reading some mysteries by uh, Jane Harper. Some mysteries set in Australia, um, and they've been pretty good. I, I turned through the first three of her books over Christmas break, um, and I'm on the fourth one now. I think that a new one is coming out maybe next month. Um, so that's my latest reading. But I also like to read some nonfiction, too. I, it's been a couple of years now, but I, I read some of the Carlo Rovelli uh, physics books. So I think the first one is Seven Brief Lessons in Physics, and the, the one that was sort of spun off that was the order of time. I feel like I really enjoy reading them, but they're they're kind of mind bending as physics can can be. 
but I, I like to dabble a little bit in that. It's obviously not my expertise, but it's it's kind of fun to dip my toe in that giant ocean. And that always makes me glad I have a Kindle because I'm reading like cozy mysteries <laughs> or like romance or like a Western whatever romantic suspense. And then he's reading like physics. <laughs> well, thank you both. It has been just delightful to uh, spend some time with you and get to know you. And we really appreciate you taking the time. And with that, we will say goodbye to you and move on to our final statistical couple of what's love got to do with it. Well, we are at stage three of our What's Love Got to Do With It special February episode, and we are super delighted to have Jack Miller and Melinda Bayum join us to uh, talk a little bit about statistical couples. And so, Jack and Melinda, we're going to start by asking you to tell us a bit about your day jobs, maybe a project that you're working on that is really interesting to you anything that you want to share. And so Melinda, we'll start with you. I currently work as a program evaluator for a student success program at the University of Michigan. And the big project that we just finished was the evaluation report for the uh, university-wide five-year strategic plan towards DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. As one can expect, because it's university-wide, this was quite an undertaking. (laughs) Well, many, many folks, my colleagues and everything else. So I had a very small piece of that. Many, 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 many hours. Yes. And many, 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 many hours. It just released and we're really pretty proud of it and everything that we're proud of, everything that the University of Michigan is doing in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion goals and the progress we've made. And it's helped identify, you know, areas where we want to keep working. So that actually all just launched this week with the evaluation report just launched this week. And so if anyone wants to know further information, you can go to diversity.umich.edu for further information. But it talks a lot about our evaluation, our strategic plan, and then our evaluation of that. So that's sort of what I'm probably very proud about that I've been working on for a long time. Okay, over to you, Jack. What's up in the, the life of Jack Miller? Gosh, well, so we just moved from the University of Michigan out to Santa Barbara, where I'm a teaching professor at University of California, Santa Barbara. And so I think the big project for me right now is getting acclimated. You know, when I got out of my car yesterday, I saw the mountains and then I walked across campus and I saw the ocean and I thought, gosh, I miss the snow. But uh, so really the big thing is getting used to, uh, for me, getting used to teaching on quarters again. I haven't done that in 10 years. And so that's kind of crazy. But I've always got my other projects going on in terms of working with justice, equity, diversity and inclusion, whether it be with Jedi, or we're doing a California Learning Lab Pathways project with some folks at other schools, with some other statisticians. Looking forward to that. And kind of getting used to teaching in front of a class where all the students are there. Because I've taught using a hybrid flexible model or high flex model since 2011. And UCSB really wants the students to be in person. And so it was rather 
novel, actually, to have all the students there and participating in class this week. So I think my big task is acclimation and then really working on things for this new course that I'm teaching to get the students really digging in and working with data as they go through the quarter. Congrats on the move, and I'm sure that you will adjust very quickly. So we're going to move into our What's Love Got to Do With It theme and ask you to each tell us, uh, maybe I'll start with Jack this time, tell us what's the best part of having a statistician as a partner, and then one of you please tell us how you met. The best thing about having a statistician as a partner is, you know, when you have those exam questions and you look at a histogram and you think, is this bimodal or unimodal? Because you're wondering what your students will say and your partner confirms for you what it is. Or maybe there are better things than that. So it's really neat. We come at statistics from different backgrounds. So my PhD is in statistics education and the statistics courses that I come with are very theoretical. Melinda is a PhD in developmental psychology and she has about a master's worth of applied statistics courses. And so it's fun when I'll be doing something and she'll say, okay, now can you tell me why when you were telling the students that, especially when we were on Zoom for those couple of years, when you were talking to the students about this, why is that thing true? You know, this particular theory true? Or even uh, Melinda was gracious enough to come to my class, one of my last few classes at Michigan, so that my mom could see me teach in person. And she had some questions after that. So it's super fun because I get to teach a little bit. And then when I don't know something, I can turn and say to Melinda, okay, so what would we really do with such and such? And so that's pretty cool. And so just to add to that, I think I would say one of the things that I think coming from the applied side of statistics is that sometimes Jack will be thinking about how to present something in class or think, you know, exam questions or whatnot and, you know, working on something and say, oh, well, what do you think of this response? Or what do you think about this? I think it's really important that they say this. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's not really emphasized in the applied world. So, (laughs) and I have a lot of examples as well from applied work that Jack sometimes can take advantage of. So Jack's not always talking about widgets and things like that. I don't think I've ever actually used widgets. I know, honey. It's a good example. It was a great example, actually. uh, Because I have the applied side. Right. And I have the widget side. Mm -hmm. All right. So how did the applications and the widgets meet each other? The applications and the widgets met at a 2014 MAA prep workshop at the lovely Cal Poly San Luis Obispo area. So it was the Tintel et al. group who had uh, put that on. So I went, it was pretty cool to be there because I was seeing some friends, like I knew just about everybody who was presenting. I got a chance to see one of my former students, Soma Roy, so shout out to Soma if she's listening, and stayed over with her and her now husband. And that was pretty cool. And so we met when I got my stuff all settled and came out and then saw another friend who I had known from AP statistics reading. And there were some other people and I was like, well, maybe I should try to be social. And so I said hello to folks and I said, well, you know, I'm the only person in my suite right now. And is that when you sassed me? Well, that's when I said they must have known you were trouble. Right, exactly. This is from my very, very shy spouse. Well, she wasn't my spouse at the time. But yeah, so it was just really cool. And she kind of had me at hello. Well, she had me at the look and the they must have known you were trouble statement. Do you have anything to add here? Just that, yes, we did in fact meet at a statistics workshop. And where was our first date? At JSM. 2014 JSM in Boston. So we're very statistical Mm -hmm. in our romance. Mm -hmm. 
I think we definitely count you as fully legit as a yes. statistical couple with, with that story in mind. So we're asking our statistical couples a question that comes up a lot on the podcast as we talk to people, and that is how you manage the balance between all the demands of work and all the demands of life. And we know that's not easy and it's rather elusive, but what's your advice for our podcast listeners on that? I'm deferring to Melinda because she's right. she's got a good answer for this. So I think when we were thinking about this, the idea is that you have to continue to work at it. It's not something you just sort of achieve and like, great, fantastic. I've got work-life balance and now that's settled for the next 40 years. That's not exactly how it works. So I think it's understanding that it is going to continue to be something you need to work on. And it is going to be something that sometimes gets a little bit, I want to say out of whack, but like, you know, gets a little bit off where one side and usually the work side is sort of infringing mm -hmm. more on the life side. And I think having your partner understand that there are times when that's going to happen. So I, in a previous life and future life, I actually have taught. And so I understand all the, the ebb and flow of a semester, the ebb and flow of a quarter that, that sort of happens um, because I have taught, but I haven't been teaching for a while. I've been working as, in program evaluation. And so understanding that, you know, the first week or two of the semester and the last week or two of the semester are not great times to say to Jack, hey, let's go on this vacation or let's, you know, why don't we spend some special time together or something like that. So part of it is kind of knowing those patterns. And when I was working on this big evaluation report, Jack knew that that was not necessarily a time that Jack should sort of come in and say, hey, let's do something fun. But I think understanding that those times happen, but then also being kind of aware to see if you start to notice that's happening a lot more and it's happening consistently and it's sort of consistently out of balance, then I think you kind of notice that. And if it's if your work-life balance that's out of balance, then you're working on that and talk to your partner about that. If it's your partner's, you can find a kind way to say, you know, honey, I think you've been working a lot more than usual lately. And, you know, is that something you want? Are there things we can come back on or, you know, and, and trying to work that out. So there's, of course, going to be small times where you have to put more emphasis on one or the other. But I think the idea being that you don't want to sort of get stuck in something that's very out of balance. And I think the communication is really key as well. This is the second marriage for both of us. And we learned what we didn't want and what we were looking for. And so we did a lot at the beginning of, oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, you're actually like listening to what I said, or, oh, you're not demanding things of me or th things like that. But so for us, it's been really good because the communication is, I think it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And we still like each other too, which is, you can probably tell. So it's, uh, I don't know if people can hear the smile in my voice when I talk about my spouse, but yeah, it's there. Well, Jack and Melinda, uh, I think we also know that having a four-legged friend as part of the family, mm -hmm. I'm sure Luna is somewhere adjusting to the move. Couldn't resist a dog comment. Oh no, totally. Oh. Luna is apparently asleep and faced away. But she's in a room, what you can't see is, so for folks, our hosts can actually see, they can't see all of the boxes that we've carved out spots to actually be able to speak now. And so Luna's been a trooper the whole time. That's great. Well, we actually like to end by asking our guests uh, what they're reading, 
listening to, watching, or in the case of folks who have just made a a move and probably are still trying to unpack boxes, what's on your to-be-read list (laughs) or playlist? So, Jack, I'll start with you, and then Melinda will get your list. So I I was excited that my audible version of Spare by Prince Harry came out. He and Megan are actually neighbors of ours. I have no idea where they live because they live in Montecito, which is not exactly where we are. And I doubt that we'll ever see them. But sure, Harry, Megan, if you're listening, please drop us a line. Find me at UCSB. But uh, so I'm excited to listen to that. And I realized, oh, this is like a 15 or 16 hour book. My commute's only like three or four miles now. So it's going to take me a long time to listen. We also do a lot of British cop shows, mysteries um, on TV as well. So we've got it. We've got a bunch of that. Honey, what's on your list? Yeah, I'd say for me, I think um, I also want to read Spare, so I'm excited about that. But I also have like a lot of murder mysteries. And so uh, there's a couple new or maybe even not that new murder mysteries that have come out from some of my favorite authors like Tana French or uh, Ruth Ware that I haven't gotten a chance to read yet. And so those are definitely on my list. So I will start reading them once I have fewer boxes than we should probably not. just fewer boxes, yeah, just fewer period. boxes. Yeah. You're assuming that because she unpacks a few of those boxes that there are fewer boxes, but you don't know what's going on <laughs> with those other boxes back there. They could be making more boxes. You just never They could be. No. They could be. Well, this has just been a great conversation, and we so appreciate you taking time, especially in the midst of making a, a move. Although I'm having a really hard time feeling sorry for you when you describe mountains and then <laughs> ocean. ocean and yeah, anyway, but we <laughs> certainly appreciate you joining us for our special February issue of Practical Significance. Thank you so much for having us. This is really fun. I guess sometimes I don't think that we're both statisticians because that's just part of who we are. So it's fun to talk and I definitely appreciate y'all asking us to be on. We are delighted to help you celebrate the fact that you are a statistical couple. And so with that, I'll also thank our listeners. And by tradition, we'll turn it over to Ron for his top 10. Thank you, Donna. We hope you have enjoyed listening to the stories of these statistical couples. In further keeping with our Valentine's Day theme, and in our constant pursuit of providing you useful information, the Practical Significance Podcast presents the top 10 things you can say about your data, but not about your partner. Don't get these things mixed up. You can say them about your data, can't say them about your partner. Number 10, you will need a lot of cleaning before you are useful. Number nine, It appears you have missing values. Number eight, oh my gosh, so much bias. Number seven, so how many others have analyzed you? Number six, you are small and underpowered. Number five, it's going to take some serious transformation before you will be compatible. Number four, easy to see you were not well designed. Number three, my exploratory analysis shows you have fat tails. Number two, no way you will turn out to be significant. And the number one thing you can say about your data, but not about your partner, you know I am required to share you, right? Well, that's it for another episode of Practical Significance. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to continuing the discussion next month. Thank you for listening to this edition of Practical Significance, the podcast of the American Statistical Association. 
A new episode will be coming your way next month from Amstat News, the ASA's monthly membership magazine.